Well, thanks for joining us today. We're glad you're here. We know some people watching it are going to be watching it online later. So I'm not going to say good morning to those of you that are, are uh, watching online. So it might be afternoon, might be evening, who knows. Uh, my name is uh, Ralph Deal. I'm a senior pastor here at New Hope. Uh, when I first came to the Lord back in the very early 1970s, uh, I was involved in some uh, spirit-filled churches that were borderline wacko with what they did with spiritual gifts. And I didn't know if I wanted to get into it or not because I wasn't interested in doing things that, were, that would turn people off. I wanted the Holy Spirit to move in a way that drew people to him. And so I had to find my balance in all that. And today I want you to know I firmly believe in the gifts of the Spirit, the move of the Holy Spirit. He's in this place today. He wants to do something. He wants to speak into our lives. It's up to us to be receptive and put our ears on and listen. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share a story this morning that you're very familiar with, but hopefully I'm going to share some things about the story you hadn't thought about. Uh, that's... I think that's what my gift is as a pastor teacher, to show you things you hadn't thought about so that you can grow. We're in Luke chapter 8. If you brought your Bibles, you can turn there. Luke 8. We're in this series called At the Feet of Jesus, where we're finding in Luke there is one story after another, like piggyback, right next to each other in just a couple chapters that all have to do with something that happened when somebody was at Jesus' feet. So that's why we're looking, that's where this series is coming from. And in Luke chapter 8, starting in, uh, in verse 26, I want to read through the story first, and then we'll come back and try to unpack it for us. 30, uh, verse 26, Luke 8. They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he met a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet. There's that phrase. He fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want from me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, What is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs, oh, well, let's just stop right there. I don't want to, if you read too much, you get too much thrown into it and you miss the, the main point. What I want us to see here is the deliverance of this guy by the name of Legion. We pick up our story down in uh, verse uh, 38. 
the man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. Church, that's how revival happens. When someone has had an encounter with God that has so much changed their life, they just want to go tell somebody about it. And they can't wait to tell everybody about it. And as they tell people about it, there's more people that really thought Jesus really didn't care. When they hear the story that he does care, then it opens their interest. That's how revival happens when we tell the story, when we pass it around. Much of what we know about the demonic realm comes from this story. And some people will read the story and they will say, well, that was back in the old days. They were superstitious back then and they, they thought any kind, any kind of a, a problem was a demon, but we know better than that today. And then there are other people on the other side that believe there's a demon in every corner. Every time somebody gets addicted to cigarettes, it's a demon. We've got to cast that demon out. And sometimes it's not demonic at all. It has to do with my human spirit. I need to tell my human spirit what it's going to do. I need to get in control of that. I need to say no. I need to discipline myself. So note the symptoms. Because I, I, I think a lot of us, we read that story and we think, well, that was way back then, and it was so much different than today, and so we don't get anything out of the story for ourselves. But I want us to think about you, your situation. I want us to think about our culture that we live in. Just think about it. Because I want to share real quickly five characteristics of this guy, Legion. There are five characteristics of somebody that's oppressed of the devil. Number one, he was an exhibitionist. Couldn't keep clothes on the guy. Just had some kind of thrill of running around naked, breaking the rules, bending every rule he could. Second characteristic, he has a fascination with death. Listen, Jesus Christ comes to bring life. And this guy has a fascination with death. Lives in the tombs. Doesn't want to go out where there's life. Wants to go where there's death. Finds some kind of fulfillment there. Number three, he's got a prison record. Every time they'd chain him up, he'd break out. You couldn't control the guy. Beyond control. Number four, he's rebellious to authority. No matter what authorities in his life tried to get him to do, he was just a rebel against it. Number five, he's a loner. Being alone will get you in trouble every time, church. We got to have each other. We need somebody having my, our backside. We, need, we have to have somebody watching out for us because we will stumble and go down the drain every time. And don't we see this stuff happening all over America? Same kind of characteristics. Maybe not to this extreme, but this, this is an extreme story that we need to read ourselves into it. What's God want to say to us? In our society... We take a guy like this and lock him up in prison. Or we lock him up in a mental institution. That's our two ways of fixing people like this. Put him in prison, put him in a mental institution. Get him out of society so they don't help anybody else. Dealing with the uh, mental issues has to do with the soul. 
when people keep breaking out and breaking rules and they, they won't, they won't uh, be controlled, we put them in prison. That has to do with the body. Let's just get them out of circulation. Deal with the soul, deal with the body. Jesus dealt with this guy from a whole other perspective. He dealt with the spirit. You see, Paul says that we are a body, a soul, and a spirit. We know how to deal with the body when it misbehaves. We know how to deal with the soul when it misbehaves. But who knows how to deal with the spirit when it misbehaves, when it gets out of alignment, when it gets dysfunctional? This is what's happening here. So this guy wasn't born this way. Something happened in his life somewhere along the way. Maybe something happened in your life somewhere along the way that had nothing to do with your choices. Something, someone did something to you, or you were accidentally thrust into a situation you didn't plan for. But you feel these characteristics here, these five characteristics I just did. You've, you know that's messing with your mind. That's Satan's oppression. So how does he get restored? That's the question. Because if we can get our handle, uh, if we can get our minds around how he gets restored, then we get a good handle on how we can be restored, how we can get back what the enemy took away from us. So what's the key? We have to remember where this all came from. Back in Genesis, back in the beginning, where God gave Adam and Eve a perfect environment, met all their needs, put them in the Garden of Eden. What a wonderful place. And he says, oh, by the way, there is this one tree over here. Don't eat of that, because if you eat of that tree, you're going to die. I don't want you dying, so stay away from that tree. I've given you everything else. It's sin. It's violating. It's refusing to submit to the rules that God has put for us in our life. Adam and Eve ran and hid from God as soon as they ate of that fruit of that tree. Hid from God. Why'd they hide from God? Because they lost their God consciousness. It's, it's like the human spirit has died within them. Something is dead. And so they feel like they have to hide from God because God's angry at them. I've got news for you, church. Since Jesus Christ died on the cross, God's not angry with us anymore. He's provided redemption. We need to step in. We need to embrace that. God's a good God. He wants to do good things. He's a good God. He wants to do good things. Amen. So they lost their self-image. If you remember, God made Adam and Eve in his image, right? He made them to represent him, to look like him on the earth. We've not done a very good job of that. We represent us pretty well, but we don't represent God. He wants, something's got to happen on the inside so that we become representatives of God. Legion needed to be delivered from his godlessness, his godless conscience, feeling like he's all on his own. And so do you, so do I. We need to see uh, God in us. We need to let God live in us. We need to look like God. What would God look like? If he were in the situation we're in, what would, what would God do? You know there's a way to know that? 
Just look at what Jesus would do, because Jesus is the Son of God. He came to represent us. This is why we talk about Jesus all the time and not just God, because Jesus is the Son of God. He came to communicate the Word of God to us. He's the messenger. He's the prophet. He's the mediator we need to listen to. So I want to share four things about this story that we can learn from for ourselves. Here's, here's the first things. Storms erupt at Jesus' feet. Did you notice from the story we just read that Jesus, cast, Jesus told those demons to get out of this man's life? And he fell at Jesus' feet and began shouting like a madman. You see, Jesus was dealing with the spiritual nature of the guy by confronting those demons that were haunting him and holding him back confronted them. And that's when they went crazy. Listen, when Jesus begins working in your life, I hope, I hope you're listening to me. This is really important. When Jesus begins working in your life to clean those demons, if I can use that term, those bad things out of your life, that godless consciousness out, when he begins to clean that out, the devil doesn't like it. It's his home and he's going to fight for it. And so as soon as a person makes a decision for Christ, I've watched this over and over and over again. As soon as a person raises their hand or says a sinner's prayer or decides they're going to turn their life over to God, immediately all hell breaks loose in their life. Yes. And the majority of those people who make decisions walk away because they don't want that kind of pressure. Listen, something's got to get routed out of your life. You know what you have to do if you're going to flip a house? You got to go in there and renovate. You got to tear things out. You got to make a horrible mess before you can begin to rebuild. That's how it works with us. You see, panic is the fear of losing control. How many have ever panicked before? I got my hand up. I was uh, I was thinking about panic just a little bit ago when I was standing out here chatting and the power went out just as it's time for church to start. I have no clue what to do in a situation like that. I'm, I'm glad we got some techie guys that knew what breakers to hit or something. I, I don't know, still don't know what it was. Panic is the fear that I'm going to lose control because every one of us in this room want to be in control. Some of us have been called control freaks because we want to be in control. And some of us are extrovert control freaks. The rest of us are introvert control freaks. Good. <laughs> Under the table, around the other way to try to be in control. You know, being a Christian is when you give up your control. You give up your control to God. You put God in control. You try that, and everything turns around. So he's been, this guy, Legion, how did he get there? He got deceived. He got deluded somewhere along the way. Somebody deceived him. Because listen to these three statements that sound so good, but they're full of deception. Number one, Satan wants you free from all restraint. Doesn't that just sound wonderful? Just sounds like God. He wants you free. He wants to give us freedom. We want to get free. Well, Legion wanted to be free. 
and he fought for his freedom. He didn't want anybody holding him down. He didn't want any rules. He didn't want any restraints. He just wanted to do what he wanted to do. And what happens to a society when everyone does what is right in his own eyes? We all walk all over one another. We rebel against God. Because if my own eyes are deceived, I'm going to see a lie. Therefore, I'm going to live in my lie. I'm going to pass that lie on to other people. I want to live in the truth, not a lie. If you have no restraints in your life, there's something wrong with you. God, the reason God gave all those hundreds of thou shalts and thou shalt nots in the Old Testament is because he knew we were sinners at our heart. And so he gave us basic moral boundaries and rules to follow. Otherwise, we'd all kill each other. Here's the second thing that sounds so good. Satan wants you running toward the wilderness. That's where Legion was. He didn't want to go where civilized people were. No, he wanted to run to the wilderness, isolation place. Wanted to go out in the tombs. Just wanted to be alone. Sounds so good. Just be alone. They were, back, back in the early church time, there were, there were these great saints that wanted to be holy, so they would go up to the top of a tree and build a tree house, and that's where they would live, so they could be isolated from everybody else's temptations. You never get free that way. Satan wants you running toward the wilderness. And you'll never find deliverance in the solitary place. Nothing wrong with solitude. Sometimes I like quiet. I just like it quiet. I don't want to hear the TV going. I don't want to hear the radio going. I just want quiet. But you don't grow there. You see, church, the word church means called out assembly. Assembly. We are in assembly. That's what we are. We assemble ourselves together. The church isn't individuals. It's the church is a, an assembly called out of the world. So we come in here, we look around, and every one of us drove a different kind of car, and we're all wearing a different colored shirt. We're all independent. We're all different in our own way. But we're called out of the world. That's what gives us our commonness. We've all walked away from that sinful lifestyle. We're all walking toward victory. Somebody say amen. amen. And you find peace at Jesus' feet in the house of God when we come together. And I don't know about you. Maybe you feel a little intimidated when you come in here. The devil likes to intimidate us, you know. We think everybody at church is holy, and we know how messed up we are, so we, we, we're afraid to come and connect. But it's the holiness in righteous people that rubs off on unrighteous people. We've got to be around the brothers and sisters. We have to be around the saints. I need that in my life. Here's, here's the third thing. Satan wants you unsubmitted to any authority. In America, this, this term rebel has become a good term instead of a bad term. To rebel against something is to say, this is the standard and I'm not going to submit to that. If you're on Facebook, you have a whole lot of friends like that. They're rebels. Whatever somebody else says, they're going to rebel against it. 
Well, you can't have a society where everybody's rebelling against everybody else. You have to find some kind of common ground to move ahead with. Somebody say amen. amen. So this guy broke away from whatever controls anybody tried to place on him. Any kind of limits, any kind of rules, he'd break away from them. He's got the power and the strength to break any kind of chains the world puts on him, but he can't break the chains Satan puts on him. He's bound and deceived, and he thinks this is the way it's supposed to be. So that's why these storms erupted at Jesus' feet. And here's the second thing I want us to see. I got four of these. The second thing is that the demons are bound at Jesus' feet. That's where they're bound. The demons in your life, the things holding you back, the things constraining you, these demons holding you back are bound at Jesus' feet. Not at church. They're bound at Jesus' feet. Going to church is a wonderful thing because we need the assembly. But that's not what sets people free. It's kneeling at Jesus' feet. The problem is we have too many of us that see ourselves as equals with Jesus. And we need to get down, get down before him. He's the Savior. You see, the, the world's people, the people that we rub shoulders with every day, people out here in the world, they're more concerned, concerned about pigs and making money than they are delivering a soul. We Christians have to be more concerned about souls and less concerned about pigs and money because, you know, time is time's ticking. Our days are numbered. And when we finally leave this life and go on to the next, you can't take anything with you. Everything you've accumulated and stored up is left behind for somebody else to fight over. You can't take it with you. Did you know that? So there's two things you must know if you're going to find your demons bound at Jesus' feet. Number one, you must be born again. There is no question. You must, Jesus said. John 3, 3. I think we have that scripture up here. Do we? There it is. Jesus responded and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless someone is born again... He cannot see the kingdom of God. There are spiritual blinders on him, and he cannot see the kingdom of God. You have to be born again. What is, what is being born again? Being baptized, joining the church? No, being born again is a spiritual awakening. You know, when a, when a baby comes out of his or her mother's womb, something has to happen. That physical life, that newborn baby has to gasp for air. It has to gasp for air or it's slowly dying. So back in the old days, I don't know if they still do this. Back in the old days, they used to take that baby, hang it upside down by the heels and give it a swat on the backside. I don't know if they do that anymore. They probably got more dignified ways of doing that. But they got to get that baby to take a gasp, breathe in air. Being born again is that spiritually. We have to gasp. And sometimes our Heavenly Father knows He needs to lift us upside down by our heels and give us a swat on the backside to get our attention. Amen. 
If you've been swatted on the backside, say amen right out loud. Amen. Amen. It's a spiritual awakening, you see. It's opening your eyes to spiritual things. And that baby instantly starts crying because it doesn't like its new world. It's got to learn all over again. When you've been born again, chances are one of the first things you did is shed a few tears because you're leaving an old life and you're stepping into a whole new one and you don't understand it and it's scary. To give up control of your life to a God you can't see is a scary thing. But that's the description of faith. That's what faith is. So you have to have a spiritual awakening to the God consciousness within you. It's not a matter of deciding to go to church and turn over a new leaf. What, what, what it is is allowing the God consciousness to move into you, this awareness of God in your life, that you are a child of God and he wants to work through you. Here's the second thing. You must take on the image of God. You must take it on. The Bible says, put it on, like you put on a jacket. You got up this morning, you got out of the shower, I hope, and you put on the outfit that you wore this morning. You put it on. Nobody put it on you, unless maybe you're a kid. You put it on yourself. This is what you do. You put on the God consciousness. You start thinking like God thinks. How do I know how God thinks? I got to get in the book. I have to figure out what the manual says about how God thinks. And then I need to think like that. So I need to put on the new man, as Paul says. Colossians chapter 3, verses 9 and 10 says it like this. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. According to the image of him who created him. This God consciousness, we start living and thinking, speaking, talking, acting like God would act if he were here. So, three things to consider. Number one, God is merciful, not vengeful. He's merciful. Therefore, if you're going to put on the mind of Christ, you're going to be merciful. Quit being so judgmental over other people that don't think like you think. Be merciful. This is how God thinks. I'm so glad God is merciful to me. I had some crazy ideas, but he had to teach me the truth the hard way. Here's the second thing. God sows and he reaps. Reaping and sowing. That's a spiritual principle. Part of the God consciousness is to realize we are supposed to be like God, which means we're supposed to be sowers. We go out in the field, we sow seed with the expectation we're going to reap. Sowing and reaping. This is the way God thinks, so therefore that's the way I'm going to think. So I need to find a way. How can I, if I want respect, I need to go find somebody and respect them. If I want love, I need to go find somebody and love them. If I want God, if I want God to send people alongside of me to help me, I need to come alongside somebody else and help them. Reaping and sowing. And the third thing, God's all about building unity. 
He's all about bringing people together. If that's the way God is, then that's the way I ought to be. That's the way you ought to be. How can we heal brokenness? How can we bring together people who are at war with one another? How can we be peacemakers in this world? Because the Bible says, blessed are the peacemakers. They're going to inherit the world. One of the best ways to be in community is to join a group or start a group. Every one of us in this room, we're mature enough to help somebody that isn't as mature as we are. We also know somebody around us that's a little bit more mature than we are. We need to be in a setting where we can learn from somebody else and help somebody else at the same time. This is why the, these the small groups, it's not just an idea that we're doing. We believe it is a strategy for the body of Christ to grow and relate to one another and build this commonality that we have to have as the assembly of called out believers. Uh, one minute left. Great. Number three. I want us to see that calm controls at Jesus' feet. We went back and we read the, the end of the story and we see he's sitting there fully dressed, having a, a sane conversation with Jesus. Something has happened inside this guy. Jesus went all this way across the Sea of Galilee to the other side over in Gentile territory for this one guy. There's not another story about what happens over there. Just this one guy. But it's recorded to teach us a lesson that he loves people like us. He'll go way out of his way to reach people like us. Peace at the feet of Jesus is knowing the Creator and knowing that he's only creative through us. Did, did you get that? He's the creator of the universe. He still is the creator of the universe. He's still a creator. But listen, he only creates through us. Did you know that? He puts spiritual gifts inside of us so that we can be creative and be his representatives on the planet. Secondly, peace is knowing that he's a miracle worker but he limits himself to only working through us. He doesn't do miracles unless somebody prayed for it, somebody worked for it, somebody gave toward it. That's how the miracles happen. He works miracles through us because that's what his nature is. So we need to believe God for miracles. And thirdly, peace is knowing he is omniscient, which means he knows everything, nothing he doesn't know. He's omniscient. But he shares his wisdom and knowledge through us. That's why I love having a conversation with you. You give me wisdom. You give me knowledge. I get to pick your brain just with casual conversation. And I learn. And hopefully you're learning a little bit just sitting here picking my brain this morning. We're growing. Here's number four. I've got to wrap this up. The fourth thing we learn... His purpose is found at Jesus' feet. Purpose is found. The guy is so changed, he wants to follow Jesus. He wants to be one of his disciples. And Jesus says, no, you can't be one of my disciples. What I want you to do is go home and tell your family and your friends what great things the Lord's done for you. Go tell your story. That's his purpose in life. Go tell his story. And if he'll do that, Others are going to become believers. We pass it on. We pass it on. 
So my conclusion this morning from looking at this story of Legion and all these demons being cast out of him and being set free, my conclusion is that peace comes from surrendering your self-image to God and your control, your self-control of life to God. Just give it to him. Let him be in charge. Now, that's kind of scary because God's got to demolish before he rebuilds, right? So that's scary to surrender control of your life to him. But if you know that the nature of God is good, God is good. That was weak, but some of you are getting it. God is good. He's always good, no matter what it looks like, no matter what you're going through. He is always good. It's part of his nature. He wants to bring goodness out in our lives. He wants to bring goodness out in your life. He is always that way. He is always good. And so if you know that and believe that, have faith in that, you can rest. Would you like to rest in God? Just rest. Let's stand together. Are you weary of being in control? Are you weary of this stress, this panic attacks, this tension, always trying to get in control of your wife or your husband or your kids or your job or your boss, always finagling to try to get in control? Are you weary of that? Because all you have to do is give it to Jesus. And you can sit back and smile because God is going to take that problem. He's going to turn it around. So we're going to sing one final song. And I guess I want to open it up for an altar call. If you're tired of fighting for control in your life, there's this area where you keep fighting and fighting and fighting and you lose sleep and you can't quite get a grip and you want to give it to Jesus. I'm going to ask you, while we're singing this song, just come down to this altar just have your conversation with God. God, I give control to you. My, my being in control isn't working. I'm just making a mess. Give control to you. I trust you, Lord. Lord, I want to find peace at your feet. You don't find it in church. You find it at the feet of Jesus. In the spirit, he's right here. Coming to this altar is just having a conversation with God at his feet. Watch and see what great things God wants to do in your life while we sing this.